Hey everyone, welcome to Admit One with G-Money. Today we have the co-founders of Virtue Animation, a Web3 animation studio producing innovative, high-quality IP for the metaverse. A former EVP at Disney and Paramount Pictures joined forces with the former corporate marketers of Anheuser-Busch and Lyrical Lemonade to create a studio dedicated to building a platform for original IP by leveraging the tools of blockchain technology. Their first creative endeavor is Basement Gang, an irreverent satirical cartoon focused on NFT rejects finding their path to becoming authentic degens. Please welcome Bob Bacon and Josh Wagner. How are you guys? Thanks for, for taking the time. Hey, good morning. GM, GM. Yeah, you know, it's um, it, it's funny because I'm, I'm currently in L.A. Uh, this week. Wags and I were talking about this a little bit before, but like, I don't know. It, it, I always find it interesting when I'm in the East Coast and I like will message somebody on my team or somebody that I'm working with based out of L.A. And then they respond at like 8 a.m. New York time, which is 5 a.m. L.A. time. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing up at this hour? <laughs> and I'm doing the same thing myself. Like, I think I've been up every day at like 4 a.m. Because like that's 7 a.m. New York, right? And it's like, I'm like, oh, I have work to do. So it's it's just really interesting, like to kind of uh, be in that dynamic right now. I, I assume, is this what, do you guys, are you guys early risers generally? Um, because like, I guess you're doing so much, probably so much business with like people that are ahead of you in time schedule. Um. To be honest, we schedule most of our morning things, like uh, pre scheduled tweets and stuff. But uh, I, uh -huh. for me to get creative, it's like in the wee hours of the night. So like 2 a.m., okay. 3 a.m. So I'm a late yeah, riser. Yeah. <laughs> all, right, all right, cool. Fair enough. Yeah, no, it, it's funny. Yeah. I'm sorry? I said, I think Wags never sleeps, actually, from what I could tell. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's another thing. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, 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 I get a lot of the same commentary myself where people are like, do you ever sleep? It's because like, I, I'm, I'm never like maybe offline more than like five or six hours at a time. Um, because like, that's kind of like, I just, I luckily don't sleep that much, but, uh, yeah, it's it just really interesting. It's an interesting dynamic, uh, that I've experienced in LA. I don't, I don't know if I could ever live in LA to be perfectly honest. I'm just like too much of a New Yorker, um, to, to make that West coast transition, uh, but I, but I get it. Like, I understand why people live here, <laughs> you know, like the, the weather's great. Uh, the people are beautiful. Um, and, and there's always something to do outside. Right. It's time for me to move. I think then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, but thanks for taking the time. Wags. I also want to give a shout out. I, I noticed the orange beanie. So we're looking like twins here. So, uh, mad props for that. Um, my, but yeah, I, I, my, yeah, my ape, my, my yeah. ape's got a beanie, so I had to, and I All actually right, got perfect. that because of G money. So, <laughs> oh, nice. I love it. I, nothing makes me happier than when, um, there's like other collections that come out that have an orange beanie on it and people are like, Oh, that's the G money beanie. And I'm like, you know, you want to talk about branding? Like that's good. Right. <laughs> like, Ooh, I'm like, so, yeah. so happy about that. I, I'm also, I mean, the Adidas beanies, I think are shipping pretty soon. So like. I'm really excited to uh, see the beanies out in the wild. I ha I've seen a couple of the hoodies out in the wild, but like I'm really excited for for the beanies and more of that merch to get out there because uh, I do think that like that's like and that's kind of like what I've been focusing on and I'm super excited about with coming up with Miami is you know creating that and fostering that connection IRL right of uh, and I know you guys are doing something in Miami and and we'll get into that in a second because uh, I'd love to talk about it. But I guess like what I'd like to start with is how did you guys end up uh, coming together to to found uh, virtue animation, right? Like how where where does that start? Like what's the origin story of that? Yeah, well, actually, um, it's kind of an interesting story. I, I as you probably know, I spent a lot of time in the traditional Hollywood world out here in the West Coast and um, working for some pretty uh, great places. And lastly, I was actually working for the great uh, Kobe Bryant before his death. Um, probably a lot of people don't know Kobe uh, as anything but a basketball player, but he was a super creative guy as well and um, actually won an Oscar for Dear Basketball a few years back, which was a short about a sort of a love letter to basketball after he retired. He fell in love with animation uh, through that process and then had the dream of starting an animation studio 
Um, so I got a call from Kobe, which was a, a thrill for me because I'm actually a big basketball guy and an L.A. native. And um, he asked me to head up his animation studio at Granity Studios. Um, and so we were drawing up plans for that uh, when tragedy struck, as, as we all know. But in the weirdest of ways, you know, how the world works, um, it was a time like literally a few weeks after that I, I met Wags. Um, and we shared this love for sports and animation and were inspired by Kobe and his life and what he wanted to do and carry that inspiration into Virtue and formed it as a company with a few other founders um, in some ways to fulfill his mission, you know, with the idea of, of collaborating through animation with other creators and bringing them into our world. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's really cool. I guess I'd, I'd like to dig in on that a little bit, Bob, is like coming from, you know, the traditional world of Hollywood, what is it that really enticed you about Web3? You know, and I know we've had a couple of these conversations offline. So, like, I'm super, you know, I'd, I'd love for you to share that, you know, with the audience. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, I spent uh, actually about three decades in the traditional world of Hollywood. And, um, you know, the interesting thing there is that it's, it's an amazing business with incredible people and, you know, real talent and, and the resources to get it done. But the barriers to entry are super high. And um, it's very, very difficult to break into the business. Um, it's very difficult from an economic standpoint uh, to sustain anything in the business. And, and there's just really honestly, um, you know, there's really about like six major studios that do all the work. Uh, and that means there's about six chairs that are making the decisions about what gets made and what doesn't get made. Um, and because of the risk averse nature due to the economics of the business, it's really difficult to get into it. Uh, so I've, in my career, I've sat on both sides of the table. I've been a buyer, uh, in Hollywood, you know, uh, making those decisions and I've been a seller too, trying to get my projects made. Uh, it's really hard. The, the studio model, like I said, is expensive. It's slow. And like I said, it's controlled by a few of these suits. So, um, I think when, blockchain came along to me I've, I've spent my career really at this intersection of, of content and technology which I really love because I think in the best ways they mutually inform each other sometimes technology really forces creative people um, you know and shows them new ways and sometimes creative people are asking for things that tech can't support yet and pushes the technology so when again when blockchain came along it felt like you know, to me, I got really excited because I could see a lot of different possibilities of, of how we might trailblaze and use this new tech. There's new forms of distribution. There's new ways to create financing. Um, there's new ways to reward the creators more directly and, and also to have those creators work more directly with their community um, and bring them into the process, which is really different than the closed doors of Hollywood. So from, from those sort of main concepts, you know, we had the crazy idea to kind of change the world, if you will, and, and build a new studio with this new use case. So, um, you know, I think fundamentally, we just like creating, we like having fun, we like hanging around like really cool people and, and, and doing cool stuff. So that doesn't change. But the way that we might be able to go about it, um, I think blockchain web three really suggested something different. So that was exciting to me. Cool. And I want to thank you for sharing that. And I want to unpack that in a second. But before we get into that, Wags, I want to go into a little bit about your background and, you know, how you ended up here. Um, I know you've been in the space for a minute, just like so for those people that aren't aware of your history of like, you know, how how'd you end up here? Right. Like uh, and like what has been your experience in the space so far? Good question. Um, thanks for having me, G. Love you, man. Um, yeah, I, um, when I, I was raised in like a, a trailer park in Missouri, so I was always like, um, I knew how to make it out. So I was always trying to learn. Um, I was starting businesses by like eight years old, started a comp, a company, a, a, a hustle when I was 10, mm-hmm. uh, where I was like taking water bottles and I was, uh, putting Kool-Aid in them and I flipped the labels, wrote super juice on it. And I was selling them on the playground and we actually put super juice into the basement gang series. Uh, as a second little Easter it. egg, but um, rose up pretty quick through the corporate ladder. I was an executive at 26, running a $12 billion business, building brands. 
Um, and then got really fascinated by crypto in 2017. I had a buddy send me a white paper on peer-to-peer media distribution. And I was like, holy cow, this is going to change the entire entertainment industry. Um, so went down the rabbit hole, started investing, did pretty well. Um, actually started building a company on Ethereum, leveraging a smart contract in 2017. And then um, the crash happened in January, uh, late January. And I think I lost a good amount of money in a company in like 60 days. So I was the last crash, I think was actually way worse than it is now. Um, and so after that, I had left corporate and started working with different uh, startups and entertainment, um, tech, and that's linked up with with Cole Bennett and Lyrical along the way. And you know, I've done different things with them. Uh, we launched a Web3 project like a year ago. So um been able to like see different businesses work with different types of creators and got deep into this uh, NFT world like October 2020. And me and Bob started to degen into Top Shot. And that was like our first <laughs> endeavor. And Bob still plays Top Shot every day to this day. So he's like a Top Shot whale. Uh, oh, but nice. um, it was perfect. a <laughs> yeah, it was a great learning experience, um, you know, doing running different businesses. And then um, I've always just had a passion for, uh, for animation and storytelling. So, um, kind of got to flex a different part of my brain and we started to carve this out and say, Hey, I think this is a new model for creators and for the film world. And, um, rather than talk about it, let's go put some stuff out in the market and see what works and what doesn't. And, um, I think that's the best way to learn. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. You said something, um, a few minutes ago that I thought was really interesting. And I, I think it's kind of timely. So I, I'm going to ask to unpack that. Why do you think the last cycle, the last crash was worse than this one? And the reason why I'm asking is because this is a lot of people's first cycle and, you know, there is a lot of despair out there. So, you know, I just, I kind of, I'd love if you could delve into that a little bit. I mean, in the last cycle, right. I think, after that February crash, there was less than 5,000 traders maybe in the world. Um, there was no big companies getting in. And at that point, it was very much like, oh, we knew crypto was a scam and this whole thing was is just fake. And it was ultra bearish, right? Um, pretty much everything died for like, I feel like at least a year and a half, two years. Um, that's why I'm like so respect people like yourself who doubled down on their conviction, uh, some other buddies that did the same and they were rewarded for it, right? And the same thing as the companies that became like the, they, they started building in 2018, um, OpenSea being one of those, right? They probably had to eat shit for a couple of years while they bootstrapped and then they were hugely rewarded and became the unicorns that rose out of the ashes. So it was worse because there wasn't all these big signals of like big companies getting involved. And now we've got Amazon and Apple and uh, PlayStation and all these big companies that are, you can tell are now committing time, money, resources to make their eventual transition. And um, now we really do know, you know, blockchain is going to change every industry as we know it. And the big opportunity is not the bubble that we exist in today. It's when the masses come in. And I always say there's 3.3 billion gamers, right? There's 30 billion, I think, uh, 30 million, something that play Fortnite every day. Um, so the next cycle is going to be driven through content and through gaming. And that's where I see the really big opportunity for uh, for growth. Yeah, and, and that makes sense, right? And especially, you know, looking at let's say the t- price of Ethereum right now, we're at a- 1100, right? And that's kind of where we topped off in 2018. And to your point is like, how many more users are there, right? We have significantly more users in the ecosystem than we did in 2017, 2018. And a lot of times like it's easy, you know, and I- I'm saying this to like all the people that are listening out there because I think when you get like, sometimes you get caught up in the micro uh, transactions and the micro uh, cycles that's happening where this FTX collapse happens and people are like, this is going to set crypto back, you know, five, 10 years. It's like, well, you know, 
like the same week or the week after, you know, Nike announces Nike.swoosh, right? Like you have all these mm-hmm. companies that um, do have an active NFT strategy that they plan on going down uh, regardless of, you know, market conditions, right? Regardless of where we are, even in the macro cycle, you know? Right. I mean, th- think about this. I actually just wrote a thread and I was doing my research be- about when the internet was was emerging, right? And you had the late 90s, you had um, people get really excited. You had a bunch of companies rush in, not enough users. At the time in the 2000 bubble, there was 400 million users of the internet. That's way more than we have in crypto. Um, you had a bunch of companies rush in. The tech wasn't fully there yet. Um, they got huge valuations based on a pitch deck. And it drove uh, way over hyperinflated market that led to that crash. And it was actually November of 2000 when everything fully bottomed, basically went to zero, huge tech layoffs. Um, There was very few companies that survived. So there's a lot of parallels that draw to that dot-com bubble. And there's the famous article, I think, that the New York Times wrote that said the internet's a fad. And we're in that, it's, it's so crazy. I always say that nothing new happens. The technology just changes. The same cycle's happening right now. And I think that in 20 years, we'll look back and laugh that this was even, um, what, like who would have ever questioned yeah. the internet, right? But, and then the companies yeah. <laughs> and the people that doubled down in 2000 and said, screw it, we're going to keep building, you would have done really, really well. Um, so that's kind of the, the, all the conviction that I need. And also the conviction of like, meeting some of the smartest, most talented, most ambitious people in the world. They're all here building in Web3. And I always think people are the ones that that lead the future. Right. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, it's funny because even sometimes I get disheartened, right? Sometimes it's like, oh, my God, like the macro is going to take longer. What does this mean for adoption? What does this mean for the things that I'm working on? Right. Because also it's like you want to have that community, right, that, um, that and I think you guys have done a great job, right? Like you, you know, you're a member of Admit One, and I know Admit One uh, is is part of a member of of the Basement Gang and and the Virtue Studios community, right? Some members are in there, and a lot of it comes down to being able to foster that community and understanding that, like you know, things cycle up and things cycle down, right? Like that's just like the nature uh, of price action, because you know it, it's funny because. I've even experienced it like, you know, people messaging me privately saying me, hey, like, because of the things that happen on the macro level, like, I have to sell my A1. Like, it's not because I don't have support for you. It's just like, I need access to liquidity or whatever have you. And I'm like, great. Like, you know, when you're ready to come back, I'm, you know, hopefully, you know, when when that time comes, hopefully you can come back in. I'll be ready to have you. But like, a lot of times, like, as a founder, you're sitting there and you're like, okay, how do we build that? Uh, excitement for the things that we're working on, right? And, you know, I think you guys have done a good job of that out of the gate. Um, I would love to kind of, I guess, chat about that. So I guess first off, you know, you guys had a mint uh, a few weeks ago or maybe a few months ago at this point. Can you go over uh, what that was um, and, you know, like what, you know, what are the benefits or being part of the community and and how the reception has been since yeah. Um, so we actually, after when we started in October 2020, the studio, um, we started working on a project with Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, some NBA guys. So that was like our first foray was actually doing art, story, animation for them. Um, so it was a good like learning experience. And then we did another one in the summer, um, which involved story uh, games, you know, whole thing that they ended up spinning off and and going somewhere else with, but, um, it's now like this was, you know, those were services based. So we took all the money and the learnings and experience that we had to, uh, to build out this model for film three with basement gang. Um, so basement gang is the one we just launched and effectively we're fusing storytelling with gamification. And I think that's something that's going to be really impactful and uh, a big part of the future of entertainment is like we need story because it gives us this emotional connection. Um, Everybody watches content, right? Netflix, storytelling, YouTube. Uh, But what we're trying to do and what the model we've built is like making this gamified experience. So as you go through the journey, you're earning different rewards and you're able to actively participate and engage along this uh, adventure. 
Um, so we've had a lot of fun building that. And um, we also built a custom music soundtrack. So I worked with 16 uh, Web3 music artists, um, some really awesome names, Daniel Allen, Rio Cragen, uh, Wax Motif, Pussy Riot. Um, so we created this cool soundtrack that we've also fused into this whole experience. And um, yeah, pretty good start so far and great community. Like they're just diehard passions. And our slogan is vibes are the grail. And we came up with that because I think that vibes are the grail basically means number up, number down. If you have vibes and if you have a community that's there for the people, for the energy, for the mission, then you have something that's really uh, special and sustainable over the long term, right? The projects that get super hyped based on price don't have a lot of sustainability, in my opinion, because um, once the price goes down, there's no vibes left. So um, I think that's people have to think more in terms of how do I build a brand and a community that, you know, can um, have more substance than just price. That's really interesting because that's something I've spent a lot of time thinking about is like you need to build like that foundational layer that's not based on price action. Right. It's like, how do you get people to be excited about uh, the project and the things that you're working on the same way that like, you know, I love Mickey Mouse, right? Like I never had a financial interest in Mickey Mouse, like, but I, you know, I, I'm like, yeah, like Mickey's here, Mickey's there, right? It's just like, it's that meme and loving that meme. And it comes from building that community and that storytelling and all those things, right? Um, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting because especially like during a bear market and I want to commend you for being able to launch successfully and build a community in a bear market um and and do well because like there have been plenty of projects where you know they miss they maybe underestimated demand or overestimated demand and weren't able to do the things that they wanted to do because they wanted to build on hype and and this and that and again it comes from that that place of hey we need to have a, that foundational layer and i think when i look in crypto I look at a project like Artblocks, right? Where, you know, two years ago, their projects like took forever to mint out, right? Like, you know, Chromie Squiggles took like six weeks before it minted out. And now it's considered a grail in the space. So, you know, there it, the market conditions were definitely different, uh, but, you know, it's just something to, to consider, right? That I think a lot of project founders don't think about, right? Um, you said something interesting there in, in your response about gamification. I guess like what what are some asks I, I think this is like to me this is like kind of like the coolest part right and this is what like when I envision 90 CC long term these are the things that excite me is like how do you get you know your token holders who have a vested interest in the success of the project to now have some sort of say I'm not saying like full like executive producer say right but like some sort of say in the decision making process and I think we've seen this. Uh, here and there with like different projects. I think uh, Jenkins the Valet, right? Bringing on Neil Strauss to write a book where people that were part of the community get access to some of the things, you know, get access to maybe the writer's room and like maybe like, and I, I'm gonna simplify this where it's like, do you go right or left, right? And like kind of like the community chooses um, which decision gets made, but ultimately like the story is kind of intact. What are your guys' thoughts around that? And like, you know, do you, and I'm sure you guys have have thought about it a lot. Like I one of the things that I'm super, super interested in is like, how can you use this new technology and do like really cool outlandish shit that maybe even the technology can't do just yet? Right. That like eventually in the future you're going to do um, what are thought your thoughts around that is are there some things that I'm sure you guys have crazy brainstorming sessions where you're like that would be really dope if we could do that. But like, we're just not there yet. Like if you could share some of those ideas, I think that would be awesome. You're, you're definitely touching on uh, the things that we think about. First of all, you're building with your community. So you're involving them directly in the process and it's, it's an immediate feedback loop, which is really different. You know, my experience is that you take years to develop and then you take about three to four years to produce. And at the very end, you're doing like test audiences, um, getting their feedback in their notes and you're finally getting some feedback, you know, on your project, you, you've spent literally tens of millions of dollars, if not a hundred million dollars at that point on a feature film before you're out, if your audience even likes it here, we get to do that right away. We get their feedback. And we think that, um, 
like I was saying earlier, unlike, um, you know, shutting out the, the audience, we, we invite them into our process. So um, if we can bring them into the writer's room and help them with their ideas, I think that that's great. You know, I see it almost like um, uh, we used to talk about like American Idol or something like that, where, you know, you do have the judges and their experienced producers in the music business, um, but the audience is playing a role as to who they want to see and who they really react to. Um, and so there's kind of like a funneling that happens where the, it's pretty wide in the beginning, then you get down to the right ideas. Um, we like the idea of bringing our audience as perhaps even characters or even the talent, people like yourself, into the project directly. Uh, and that's something really different too. So I've always dreamed of this as, you know, to have the audience member actually be in the picture. Um, wouldn't that be cool? I mean, uh, you know, we, there's, there's some ideas of like, if, if you go sat in the movie theater, you can have a camera on a certain seat and, you know, that person gets basically like clipped onto a green screen and they appear in the movie and you walk out with a version of the movie with yourself in it. I would personally love that. Um, so, you know, whether I, I want to stop you right there because there was something that you said earlier, and but then I want to I want to go down that rabbit hole a little more because I it's I think that's that's super interesting what you just said. Uh, but one is I don't like one of the things that people always lament about uh, to what you were saying is like that focus group and the feedback group, right? Like I mean we've all heard that story. I'm sure you've lived it where the movie gets made, you know, it's a fifty hundred million like you know a, a huge budget. And then all of a sudden you test it and like the audience hates it. And now the studio's like, well, we're fucked, right? Like, it's like, we need to adjust. And, and I, I've experienced this from, let's say the, uh, the financial perspective where, you know, a lot of these companies are, are, are publicly traded, right? Like your Lionsgate's, I, I think Lionsgate's bought by somebody else now, but you're Disney Fox. And sometimes what some of these big movies Right. Like that would make the quarter. Right. It's like if you have like a Marvel movie coming out, like the quarters made or break. It's it's make made or broken on on uh, on the release of that project. And like if initial screenings and I know this because I've like I've traded stock off of Rotten Tomatoes results as they start coming in on the website. Right. Where it's like the Rotten Tomato score is incredibly bad. And it's like, oh, shit, they're not going to hit their numbers. And like, it's crazy because I'm seeing it from that perspective. And so obviously these focus groups are super, super important. And the fact that they happen so late in the process is is a bug. It's not a feature. Right. And so it's like when you look at crypto and it's one of the things that like I always tell people, I'm like, listen, like you have the peanut gallery and you have your your people that if they don't like something, they will be very vocal very early on about what they do and they don't like, right? And so a lot of times people are like, oh, that's a bug. But it's like, why don't you think of it like a feature, right? Is like instead be like, hey, all right, this is really good critical feedback. If our community doesn't like this, then maybe uh, we should take it into account. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to go and, and, and pander to the community every time that they, they complain about something, but it's something to like consider at least, right? And I think that that is one of the beautiful things about the, the, the space, right? But I guess along those lines, right, as a creator, part of it is you want to, you want to surprise and delight, right? And so then how much do you share from the storytelling with the community? Because part of it is like you want to awe them like when it comes out, when the final product comes out, not where it's like, oh yeah, well, we knew what the storyline was. Like, you know, we knew the entire process along the way. Do you plan on being fully transparent with everything or do you plan on doing, you know, tidbits here and there? I mean, it's, it's such a great thing that you were saying. And in fact, the surprise and delight is what I love to use. Um, it's a double-edged sword actually, G-Money, because uh, at least in the film traditional business, um, things are really rough early on. You know, especially in animation, you're literally talking about like little pencil drawings that, that some people can't even read. Um, and, you know, the, the process that something goes through, it gets, it's like, look, the, the closest thing I can tell, like the, the layman is it's like a house renovation. If you walk in, you know, in the beginning when it's demoed, it looks like crap and everything's a mess everywhere. And then you walk in at the end and it's beautiful and staged and you're like, oh my God, um, that's how movie making is too. So sometimes when you show it to the audience initially, they can't see past that initial mess. They can't see the ultimate vision and they criticize it really early. And that could be a death to the project early on. 
Um, so a lot of a lot of creators they're fear, fearful of that. I mean, I worked on a movie called The Little Prince, um, and I convinced the director at the time to go screen it to a bunch of school children um, when it was in the pencil test stage. And it, it actually went really well because the kids actually have the ability to to visit, you know, visualize something beyond what it is, and the adults are, are tend to take it like straight ahead. Um, but you're right; it's it could be a bug or it could be a feature depending on how you use it. I think that you have to not be afraid. You have to have enough confidence in your own ideas um, and to know where it's going to go. But you have to be able to communicate those as well because if you are making a mistake, you know, I think like with most mistakes, I say fail fast and fail cheap. You know, and, and you'd, you'd rather do that early um, where the fall is not so great. Um, and, and this is why Hollywood's difficult, because waiting too late in the game means that the costs and the failures are really expensive and people lose their jobs and the earnings go down, like you said. Um, and it's a serious business. So um, therefore, people are super risk averse as to kinds of things that they want to look in, at, the types of people that they want to work with. Um, and that's why you feel like Hollywood is very much a copycat town because, you know, they only do something once the model is proven. Uh, and that's kind of a shame, you know, for creators. Yeah, that's just to build on that. I, I just, sorry, just to build on what Bob said, like, I think any good um, business is started with what problem are we solving for? And I think that's how we looked at and approached this, you know, with film three is like, what are the problems? And how can we potentially solve for those? And that's a huge problem is that uh, there's a risk aversion, which means they can make Spider-Man 19 because they know it's going to hit certain metrics and that's a safer bet for them. So we then lack maybe creativity. Uh, there's a lot of, I think, lack of uh, creators getting an opportunity from different backgrounds, races, whatever. So then, you know, you have like a certain group that's making the same movies over and over. And I think, um, you know, that leads to huge problems. And then um, obviously the economic uh, side of film is super broken and old as well. So I think that's what we're looking to change is can we do new original IP that's different that nobody's ever seen and then collaborate with people uh, from all different backgrounds and worlds. And that's what's been fun about Base Gang is we have 32 contributors on this project from music artists to artists, animators, uh, tech people. So bringing like super talented people from all these different worlds and backgrounds, races, uh, genders, and um, putting all those ideas together. And that's the team as well as with the community. Um, we don't, we say that our community is not our customers or they're not uh, our community really. They're actually our partners, they're our team. And I've said that since day one of us kind of doing spaces and Twitter and that mindset of like, you're actually a partner on our team has really allowed us to get awesome feedback and a lot of community participation to help us build this this property. Yeah, and I, I'm gonna take this moment to shamelessly pat myself on the back because uh, we recorded uh, like my piece of the episode, uh, I think it was earlier this week or, or last week. And uh, Lisa, my producer hit me up afterwards and she's like, that was really fast. Like, have you done that before? I'm like, what? And she was like, like, you literally like went through your lines like really quick. I'm like, I, I how does it usually go? Like, I, you know, like how many takes does somebody need to do uh, to go through the lines? She's like, no, no, that was like really fast and efficient. So um, I, I'm, I was like proud of that. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like I had other shit to do. Like I, I want like, I don't have like three hours to record these lines. So um, it, it, it's been fun from, let's say like a partner and a collaborator perspective of, um, you know, kind of coming in, we went through the lines and then I read my lines and we were recording them and, and hopefully like the final product comes out great. Right. Absolutely. You are a pro. We were really impressed. That was awesome. Yeah, it was, it, it was good. We're, we're excited. Like we, we, we've tied together. This will be the second time, like. Uh, content story actually tied to real life experience. So it'll be cool because uh, we're tying Basil into this episode and you're, you're activating there with Medved and Gateway. So tying all these cool things together and, um, you know, Basil will be uh, the premiere. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's going to be great. Um, what let's uh, actually, before we get into that, I want to touch on Bob, what you were saying a little bit earlier about you know, being able to go into a show, uh, into a movie and kind of be that main character of that movie. That kind of had me thinking about 
you know, AI, the advancements that we've seen in AI, especially initially, I think, you know, just on like the still image side, but I assume on like, you know, let's say full motion picture side or, you know, full like videos or, or what have you, there has to be a lot of exciting stuff there that I'm sure like piques your interest, right? Um, of things that you're thinking about there, what have you found really interesting? Because I do think like this whole, to to the points that you guys were just saying, that you've been saying is like the, democrat the democratization of access to this technology will lead to a humongous increase in creativity, right? Because who knows, like maybe the most creative person in the world is like somewhere in Africa. And up until now, they haven't had the tools to tell that story that could be maybe the the story of our generation, right? And like at the end of the day, it's like now by getting access to those tools, that story might be able to come to light. And that person doesn't necessarily to be need to be somebody that's, oh, I know the right person in the right cities. Um, and yeah, I'm just super curious as to your thoughts on AI. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about it. <clears throat> I think uh, just as you're speaking to um, the ability to put in certain prompts you know, and have the technology take you a very long way uh, to create something, whether it's scripts or visual images, um, is super fascinating. You know, I think um, still you want to have it in the hands of people who know what to do with it. I, I do like to say that the pencil and paper have been around a long time, but it doesn't make everybody a great novelist, right? Um, so having access to the tools is one thing, but talent still plays a role. What you're saying is that Rather, again, the uh, idea of it being a hindrance or a help is that the, if the tools are democratized and they're out there and they're more accessible from a cost standpoint, then you can put them in the hands of a lot of different people and you can discover that talent. So instead of the talent being sort of, you know, hidden under a rock that we never turn over, you, we might actually discover a lot of rocks out there. Um, and what's also cool to me is, you know, there's been a certain kind of... Um, creator i would say that's pretty standard over over the years and there's so many stories to tell from around the world that's something you know from a cultural perspective um, from their own particular history that i get excited about is not to hear the same sort of uh, stories that we've heard time and time again but to hear them from different places i mean i think you know just a few years ago even it doesn't seem that long but um, you know a superhero movie uh, like wakanda or something like that would not have been told um, you know, I worked on, a, I, I tried to buy a movie years ago uh, called The Book of Life from a great uh, animator. Uh, and it's based in, you know, sort of Mexican heritage. Um, and the studio didn't want to buy it because they thought the audience would be limited. So we need to hear more stories. We need to put the hands, the tools in the hands of creators who can come up with these great things. Um, and, you know, it takes you a certain way. I, I, I think it's funny, you know, my history is uh, starting with Walt Disney and, Walt, like a lot of people don't know, probably won more Academy Awards and technical achievement than anybody in history. Uh, he was always playing around with new technology. And people are generally afraid of it in the beginning, and then they ad adopt to it. So, um, you know, in the very early days, even going back to Snow White, they did a thing called rotoscoping, which they took an actor in the studio, and they basically traced over the film of that person, and they got lifelike animation. Uh, and then, you know, many, many decades later, I was pioneering a technology where everybody's using it today, like in deep fakes, where you can digitally create a human being. And the animators really freaked out, actually. Um, so they thought we were up to something no good and that we were ready to replace them as animators. And you had to remind people that, no, it's actually like an old technique just with new technology. Uh, we did the same thing decades ago on Snow White. Don't be afraid of it. It only takes you so far. But if you put those tools in the hands of great creators, they'll figure out what to do with it. And like the sky is the limit, totally. I think it's going to be fun. I, I think we're like, I've said it, like we're on this verge of this degenesance, a renaissance moment where like art and technology fuses together and like the, some of the greatest creations come out of that. And why is three things. One, we have social media, which is now a marketing tool that allows you to build brand for free, right? That didn't exist 20 years ago. You needed TV, you needed print, that cost money. 
Two, now we have Web3 and NFTs as like a tool for a way to build community, have some sort of revenue streams, like as you're seeding for that project. And then three, with AI and that evolution with DALE, um, now there you have the ability to, and, and other emerging tech, like reduce the costs. Because animation, a lot of people don't know, can be like a million bucks a minute. It costs sometimes like $200 million to make a Pixar movie or more. So now with these technologies, you'll have more people actually have the ability to make uh, animation, to write scripts in their bedroom, right? And like that will, uh, you know, when the costs decrease, more people get opportunity. Coupling that with social and Web3, those three pillars are going to fuel this whole creative renaissance, I think, for the next decade. Right. And and to take that point even further, right, uh, especially what you said, Bob, about, you know, what we have is just new tools for people to express their creativity. Like the interesting thing is like, especially, you know, over the last year with the rise of AI, right? It's like, okay, like now I, you know, I'm a data prompt. Everybody's a data prompt engineer, right? So I'll be like, hey, mid journey, like imagine. And I like put in my scene. And what I'm realizing is like, my first thing would be like guy wearing a shirt. And like, it's very like unspecific, right? And it's like, you have to get more in depth, like in a photorealistic version, film noir, uh, guy sitting in a chair, lonely in the corner. And you have to be like very, very descriptive, which is interesting. Cause I think like over the next, whatever, five to 10 years, we're going to see like a rise in courses of like how to be an AI data prompt engineer and how to get the outputs, right? That people that you want and use that, and I I only know this because I've been using it personally for like a mood board, right? Where I'm like, okay, this is an idea that I wanna go with. And so what you were just saying, Wags, is like, I could write the storyboard and I could write the script and I could have a rough outline that maybe gets generated off of it, but then it's like, you want to have like an expert's uh, eye on being like, okay, well, you know, what if we tweak this like that? And, you know, we adjust the camera angle there and, you know, we get this kind of side shot. And because that creates more emotion in it, that it's like, maybe the AI like really like lowers the cost of production for proof of concept, but then you still need to go in there and kind of like, you know, put the fine, the fine tuning into it. Right. I think that's totally right. I mean, that, like when we transitioned from traditional animation, hand-drawn animation to CG, it was a whole new tool set for a lot of animators and uh, simple things. Like it was funny, just the tech at the time, like if you bent your elbow, it was like bending like a straw bends. So you had this like crease, you know, and uh, people who weren't like familiar with good art, um, they accepted that crease and then you had the traditional animators go, no, 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 it's lacking volume now. Like you've just, it looks like a bent straw. It looks cheap. It looks bad. And it's going to detract from the story that you're trying to tell. And then, you know, they sort of refined those because the good eye saw what was missing and what it needed to be added, you know? So again, I think you're totally right. I think it, it, it brings up like sort of the floor, uh, for a lot of people or brings down the floor, whatever that is, but you still have to like hit the ceiling you know, um, with good eyes, good art and, and taking it to that highest level. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And to that point, right. Is like, when you take a look at like the difference between great and excellent is like 1%, right? Like the best player in the world in any sport is maybe like 1% better than the second best player. Mm -hmm. But that 1% is where all the difference lies, right? That's where the, that's where like the big money is. There's I, I, I'm butchering the quote, but Tony Robbins says like pretty much that exact concept, right? Where it's like the difference is so minuscule, but that's where all the value is, where you're like, oh, well, I'm 99% of the way there. But that 1% is really where like all that extra value lies, yeah, right? Um, and I think this proves that. There's a great book, I think, called Good is the Enemy of Great. It speaks to that that sort of idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. And, and I guess I want to, I know we have a, a few moments left. I want to talk a little bit about what you, what are you guys doing at our Basel? Um, what, like, so we're, we're coming out with this later this week on Thursday, I believe. Um, and what, when are you releasing the clip, um, of the, uh, the basement gang teaser clip, as well as what do you guys have planned for our Basel? So that if people want to, I know we have a good amount of, of, I, I'm telling you this from my personal experience is a lot of people are starting to FOMO into our Basel over the last two or three days where people have been reaching out to me. So 
Um, I, I know you guys have something planned. So for people that want to know uh, and want to ex experience the pop-up that you guys are doing, what's what's the best way to, to get there? Totally. Basel is my favorite week of the year. That's where we, I think that's where we met last year. And then we, uh, we yep. hopped that, we hopped the jet to Puerto Rico. That was fun. Um, yeah. short, short lived, yeah. but yeah, Puerto Rico is awesome too. Um, the, the yeah, top. So that was literally the top. <laughs> that was, that, that was the top. We were, we were riding high and it's just kind of been yeah. downhill since there. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I'm, I'm ultra bulls on everything happening. Uh, Basil is going to be awesome. There's so many cool people going. We'll, uh, we're going to premiere and drop the episode with yourself, G Money and Medved. Uh, we're going to do that December 1st. So that's Thursday. Um, we're going to premiere it at the gateway and on that Thursday, probably evening. So details to come there. And then we'll also premiere it and feature it at, uh, an event it's a festival that um, we're doing with trippy so we're activating there um trippy labs and it will be a three-day festival some amazing talented music artists and djs um a really cool art gallery with some top artists and uh just a really cool kind of uh music festival style party and then we're actually going to do this treasure hunt there so you'll actually go around the festival grounds and if you collect all 10 um, QR codes, then you'll earn a, a 101 custom uh, basement bud. So um, a fun activation. And then our community actually will get uh, get tickets to there. If you own a, a virtue pass, or if you own five basement buds, you get a free VIP ticket to the festival. So we're, uh, we're excited. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, that's really cool. I know Trippy's uh, event last year was really dope. He had like a really, really great um, lineup of DJs and I think I'm I'm probably gonna head out there at at some point, um, you know. So I'll, I'll definitely I'm definitely gonna see you guys there. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Amazing. How many how many episodes do you plan on on making for season one? Um, it's a good question. This will be our tenth episode. Uh, we actually ended up dropping nine before the Mint, as well as the full music soundtrack. So we we built a lot of product before Mint because we wanted to kind of prove that. You know, we had something uh, more than just uh, on talk. Um, so executing and, and delivering on what we said was important. Um, so we'll see how many episodes for season one. Um, and at some someday, I'd love to do a season two where we scale. This is very much like a Web3 South Park vibes. Uh, but at some point, maybe season two, we scale up and out so we can reach more of the masses because that's where I see the big opportunity is reaching, you know, globally um, through content and, and gaming. And, and how fast, I think it's funny you mentioned South Park because I was just about to ask this question. I think one of the amazing things that I love about South Park, I don't know if they do it anymore, but there was a stretch of a few seasons there where they would literally write and produce and make each episode each week. So like yep. they would have literally the most current news of the news cycle from like literally like seven days ago as they were they were doing it. And I thought I think I mean, the fact that I think they're geniuses in comedic geniuses in their own right, even before that. But the fact that they were able to put out good content that quickly I, amazed me. Uh, I'm curious how fast like what's your turnaround time usually on episodes? It's a good question. I mean, before Mint, we did about in five weeks, we did those like nine shorts, which ended up being about 30 minutes. Um, and what was cool about that is I was actually able to take like memes and jokes that were happening in this space, because seemingly every week there's a new drama or, or meme. Uh -huh. um, so like an example is we tied like the Vitalik, uh, you know, boner picture. And we said like, <laughs> oh, like Chad was like, oh, I longed into the schlong. Um, you know, so you take like little bits and memes like that and tie it in. So um, I think our goal would be uh, right now, maybe around two to three weeks, we could turn a, you know, five minute episode. But I think our goal would be to keep like getting that to a, a faster speed. And, um, you know, because one of the biggest problems in the space is customer retention. So you need to continually have always on engagement to keep people engaged, give them something to either watch or do. And like I said, I think there's always like a new drama or, or rug of the week. So, you know, mm -hmm. being able to turn things like that keeps people captivated. And with a model like South Park, it's always interesting because it's it's relevant. 
and it keeps it fresh, right? There, you don't ever get lost in a lull of a series because you're just drawing on things like that and making fun of it. So, um, yeah, I think uh, we're having fun with it, and we'll see where it goes. All right, awesome. Uh, well, guys, thanks for, for taking the time to come on. For people that uh, want to keep up with everything that you guys are doing, what's what's the best way to keep up with, with your project and, and stay up to date? Uh, at Basement Gang, Basement is m-i-n-t with an i and uh basementgang.com is the uh, website and we've got the episodes are on the site we have a, a puzzle game you can play the music soundtrack is there and um you can actually train your buds our nfts are evolving so a lot of cool things we have that uh will roll out over this adventure and we'd love to have people and i know uh you and the admit one crew are our community members so we appreciate that man and i'm um, excited to drop this episode awesome yeah thanks for coming on uh everybody thanks for tuning in and i'm excited I, i'm excited to see you guys in miami and uh you know catch up and and see everything that you guys are working on thanks you, but uh but thanks for coming yeah, on yeah thanks for having us awesome appreciate the conversation likewise thank you and thanks everybody for tuning in